open to chapter 19. Open your Bibles again to 1 Kings, and this time I want you to open to chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. Thank you for that good song. Now, Lord, I'm thankful. If you're not thankful, you have a serious, serious relationship problem with God. Uh, you, it's not on God's end, it's on our end. We have so much to be thankful for. Keep in mind our text of what we read a few minutes ago. And now we go to chapter 19, and please follow as I read through eight verses of chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I make not thy life, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said... It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Now, now he doesn't mean what he just said, and you, you know he doesn't. He doesn't want God to kill him. He doesn't want God to take his life. He doesn't want to die. You say, how do you know that? Because if he'd have just stayed in town, uh, uh, Jezebel would have killed him. He ran for his life and then requested God take his life. So he's discouraged. But don't be too hard on Elijah until we've finished the message tonight. But, but, but he is just, he's, he's whipped. He's discouraged and he is down. Look at verse number 5. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink. And laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat of 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know what he ate. He ate it twice. Whatever it was, it lasted 40 days. Unto Horeb, the mount of God. There's a lot of things tonight I want to say about the sermon. But I'm just going to preach the sermon. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in understanding. I do ask for your attention this evening as I preach on this subject. The end of one era can be the beginning of another. The end of one era can be the beginning of of another. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. This is a very heartfelt message. Uh, this is a message, Lord, that is uh, not just a, a few words on a piece of paper, uh, but Lord, it is uh, from my heart and my time with you uh, throughout the past few weeks and uh, since the uh, summer weeks of this been on my heart. And I pray that you'd help me as I preach this message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I've preached many times from this passage of Scripture, and I will say 
that I've preached many times from the surface or the text of this uh, passage and this story uh, over the past uh, nearly 40 years. I preached a message entitled, When the Fire Fell. I preached a message, Let God Be God. I preached a message, When the Gods of This World Let You Down. I preached a message about the prophet with power and more. However, the more I studied the context of the scripture and the culture of this day, the nation is divided. Uh, the northern kingdom is uh, Israel and the southern is Judah. There's still a remnant left in Judah, uh, but it's uh, quite a wicked bunch uh, to the north. And of course, Ahab is the king. And the more I studied the context and the culture, the longer I live and experience life in the service of God in a wicked world, the more I learn and understand from this passage of Scripture, uh, this event in history and this man of God, uh, Elijah. This story is recorded here in detail. It is mentioned again in the book of James in chapter 5 as an example of the fervent prayers of a righteous man. In the message I'm preaching tonight, the end of one era can be the beginning of another. Uh, Elijah is perhaps uh, one of my three favorite Old Testament uh, Bible characters. And I'll not go in that, into that list, but Elijah is one of them. For some time, I was confused and bothered by two things uh, that Elijah said and did. Uh, one of those things uh, that uh, bothered me or confused me that Elijah said, uh, he said in our passage that we read in chapter 18, I'm the only one of God's prophets left. As a young preacher, that bothered me, and I, I, I thought it was a juvenile statement. I thought it was an immature statement, but I don't think it is, and I'll say more about that as I go through the message. The second thing that he said uh, that uh, bothered me is his discouragement and running from Jezebel's threats. I heard Lester Olaf preach a message on that uh, subject one day, and I'll never forget what Lester Olaf said and what a fighter he was. He said, I wish Elijah hadn't run. I wish he'd have grabbed Jezebel by the ankle like you do an old black snake and just whipped her head off like you would a black snake. And uh, he too was frustrated at Elijah uh, for running uh, from Jezebel's uh, threats. But I want to talk about uh, both of those things as I understand more of the scripture and understand more going uh, through life and ministry. In no way do I want to live life discouraged, defeated, or dismayed in any way. I want to live life to, uh, to, uh, determined to press on until Jesus comes. If you're with me on that, would you say amen tonight? Thank you. You can go back to sleep. And, uh, but uh, we don't want to be discouraged. We don't want to be. The truth is we fight discouragement. We do. Uh, we fight being dismayed and we have to decide. We have to make the decision uh, to be determined to keep uh, pressing on. Let me tell you a little bit about the text. Uh, 
about the context, about the cultural scene of this day. First of all, let's keep in mind that Ahab and Jezebel are the king and leader, and I don't know who's which, of the land of Israel uh, for some years now. And here's what the Bible says about Ahab and Jezebel. They did more to provoke the God of heaven than any other king. Now, I'll not go into a study of the kings, but there were some mighty wicked kings in those days. I mean, you think of, uh, uh, of the queen Athaliah and the fact that she, uh, she killed uh, her own children. She killed uh, some of her very own. And you think of the wickedness of all of that, but the Bible says, above all, Ahab did more to provoke to anger the God of heaven than any other king. It's interesting to note that Jezebel hired her own prophets to tell her what she wanted to hear. She gave them a title of prophet. Uh, she wanted them to be the representative of God or the voice of God to tell her what she was doing was okay. She had some 450 prophets at that uh, she hired. Now, I think this would be the context of how I feel uh, when people like Barack Hussein Obama uh, was the president. I, I, I think uh, Elijah, um, I, I feel a little bit like Elijah when I think of old Biden or Biden being president uh, in our nation. It's, it's discouraging. It, it's defeating. It, it is discouraging to hear uh, Obama say, uh, America is no longer a Christian nation, and uh, to say it with a sense of uh, uh, a sense of pride uh, that America has been changed, leading the people to think that God is a lie and evolution is truth, and 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 that's a forgotten thing. It's an overlooked thing. It still ought to make you mad to realize uh, that they teach children today that God did not create them, but they evolved from a lower animal life. Nobody evolved from a lower animal life. We are God's creation, and the Genesis account is the truth. That's what God said. Leading people to think with a corrupt and reprobate and an immoral mind that there is more than two genders and that immorality of any kind is good and right. It frustrates me to anger at what is being told little children as young as preschool and kindergartners and such a perverted and a wicked mind. There was a day in America those kind of people would be put behind locked bars and they would not be allowed out in public, let alone to stand in a public school and teach that foolishness. And then uh, to threaten a punishment if you don't accept this wickedness and you're not a part of accepting and agreeing with what uh, they're teaching. Now that was somewhat of the context. That was somewhat of the culture uh, that Elijah was dealing with. Then they were teaching the ways of Baal in that day. They were active in the name of religion. Jezebel, uh, she brought the teaching of Baal to the nation of Israel. Not a heathen nation, not a, not a secondary nation, but the nation of God. They were teaching them Baal worship. Uh, Ahab hired a prophet. He hired one of God's men. I don't know about you, but that just, that just, that just bothers me to think that Obadiah would work for Ahab. 
It just bothers me. It bothers me that he would want to hire him and that Obadiah would agree to work for, uh, would agree to work for uh, Ahab. Uh, he was one of God's good men, but he sold out. He sold out. Now that's what Elijah is dealing with. Uh, 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 Obadiah, he is a friend of Elijah. He was a friend of Elijah and one of his own uh, working for uh, Ahab. He knew he was in the wrong place. Elijah knew he was in the wrong place. Then the hearts of the people had been turned from serving the living God to the worship of the image of Baal. The worship of Baal was a very sensual and immoral behavior, just like today. Immorality is the way. It's the thing. It's what's promoted. And those of you that believe that a man ought to be married to a woman and a woman ought to be married to a man, and anything outside of that is immorality and is wrong and sinful, uh, you're the ones and we're the ones that's considered wrong. I got news for them. This old book hasn't changed, and they're going to find out that they're on the wrong side of the aisle. In addition to that, they mocked God and his man. They made fun of Elijah. They mocked the laws of God and the men of God. The people would not openly worship God anymore. Elijah asked for the people to say amen. Not one person opened their mouth. Not one person. And the people answered him not a word. Not a word. Now you have to understand where Elijah is. What he's facing in the context of the story. What he's facing in the culture of the story. He gathered, the Ahab gathered all the people. And, and when he told them that they should worship the God of heaven, the people answered him not a word. That's what the scripture says. Now you know the story. God had sent judgments on the land. And at this time in the story... Uh, there was a dearth, there was a famine in the land as it had not rained uh, for three and a half years. Ahab has called the people to Mount Carmel. It is here that the bullock is cut in pieces and laid on an altar. It is here that false prophets of Baal and Jezebel call on their gods from morning until noon and no answer came. It is here that Elijah alone... He doesn't have one person to encourage him. He's standing alone. 450 prophets of Jezebel, all the people of Israel standing around him. The people have answered him not a word. He prays to the God of heaven and the fire of heaven falls. You know what the Bible says? The people then cried after the fire fell, the Lord, he is God. It was then that the announcement came from Elijah that rain was coming. He said, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. I understand now more of what Elijah experienced in these two statements. I understand that more than I've ever understood in my life in ministry. His statements of being the only one of God's prophets that left, and that was a feeling of loneliness. His discouragement in running from Jezebel's threat and his weariness. I understand more of both of those at this stage in my life and ministry. I understand the loneliness of Elijah. 
I do know and I have read what God said to him when he told him that 7,000 had not bowed their knees to Baal. I know what he said. I understand that. And I understand that he was not the only one left. We're not the only one left. I understand that. And all that is true and that's in the story. But I know the feeling of loneliness when you as a pastor find yourself standing alone when there were others that were standing but have decided to compromise with this world. I speak tonight just for me, not just for me, but many a young preacher across America tonight. I remember when there were Christian schools who still stood with Bible standards and convictions of dress. Men and ladies different and dressed accordingly. I remember the day of respect being a part of our culture. And you respected people who had a high standard of dress and decency. And there was a true respect for them. That, that has changed the opposite today. Somebody has to open their mouth and be a critic of that so others can join in and chorus to criticize those who are trying to live a clean and decent and a moral life. It is discouraging to this preacher to go to a Christian school sporting event and see the lack of standards of dress and decency among both students and adults. It's a shame to see coaches and teachers in their mini skirts and blue jeans. It's a shame. Now you have to understand where I came from. I'm nearly 40 years that I've been preaching. And you have to understand some of the people that are a part of the sports leagues were a part of the sports leagues when I was a student. I've had them to do hair check and dress check. And as a child, as a teenager, I watched them. Now I watch them dress their girls in blue jeans. And I watch them mock and I hear them make fun of the old preacher. I'm going to tell you something. I feel, I feel for Elijah... Because it's discouraging to this preacher. I see a lack of standards and decency. And worse, I see a lack of respect for those that still hold to the same standards that we've always had. And I want to tell you right now, I will not dismiss it. I won't overlook it. I won't get over it. And I won't be happy about it. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just telling you tonight. And I can't wait to get the end of the message because this doesn't end this way. But at least some of you have been asleep for the first part or awake now. You're interested in what I'm about to say. It's discouraging to know churches that I've preached in over these years that once stood for this old King James Bible. They stood for and they preached soul winning. They preached ecclesiastical separation and Bible preaching that they no longer have there. And I'll be honest with you, 
I'm encouraged by another generation. If you think I'm discouraged tonight, don't, 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 don't think that one bit. I'm, I'm disappointed. It hurts when you see that. And it hurts when you have a church and a preacher that you preach with and you preach for that's decided we're not going to stand for the old King James Bible anymore. Now hold in my hand the word of God. God has preserved his book in that old Bible right there. I miss my old time friends. I miss those who taught me and preached to me. I miss the fight of Lester Olaf. I used to hear Brother Howell say, Lester Olaf wanted to be in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. He said, I wanted to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. I miss the fighters like my dad who stood for this old book right here. I miss the fighters like Lee Robertson who put on everything he printed distinctively Christian. Distinctively Christian. It is lonely sometimes to be the one that has to take the stand among those who have lowered the flag and dipped their sails to the pressure of the world. I think I know how Elijah felt. It's lonely to see the changing of music standards. Churches that used to sing godly, good music. Churches and singers and good and godly organizations that held the line on the old time religion and good godly music have fallen prey to the love of money of the contemporary music crowd and the Christian rock crowd and the country music crowd that some call Southern Gospel. Now like a Southern style gospel, this Southern Gospel music that's no different than the country music and the rock and roll music, you don't get that sensuality from reading this book right here. You don't get it from walking with God. You get that from hanging around the world. That's where you get it. It's lonely to get books that once were good books for children to learn from and learn songs from and to see the contemporary foolishness of the world step in. I remember when Christian church camps and Bible colleges had dress standards and music standards and they were all about the same. And there were many of them. Eventually all of this got to Elijah when he got word from Jezebel that she was after him and going to kill him. By the way, Jezebel was all for inclusion and equality when it came to her false prophets. She had a few from every denomination, but she had none that spoke the truth. That's why she didn't like Elijah. And Elijah... He comes to the place that he just tuck tails, he tucks tail and runs. Imagine how lonely it was for Elijah that day. Imagine how it must have been for him to remember the days of Israel when in fact they did worship the God of heaven. I remember the days in America, and you do too, in our public schools. That we prayed and we pledged and we sang Christian songs in our public schools. I remember the days that there were God-fearing people in the places 
of public leadership. Sometimes when you see what's going on in our world, you get this feeling that there's no hope for America when you see what's being taught in our school systems and the corruption that's in government. Elijah got discouraged. He got down. He got depressed. And he was in despair. And he decided to give up. But God came to Elijah in chapter 19. He said, get up and eat. He did. And he went back to sleep like you did Thursday. He woke him up again and said, eat again. Because the journey you're about to take, you're going to need plenty of food. And he did, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days. You see, there was more work for him to do. So tonight, here's what I learned from this story. Here's what I learned from the context of the story. Here's what I learned from the culture of this story. I want to declare tonight that although there are many of the past generation and this generation that has forsaken the word of God and has forsaken the music of God. And while it is discouraging, it is never time to quit. It is never time to give up. You know what it's time for? It's time for a new beginning. It's time for starting over from the start and raising another generation to serve God. It's not time for the juniper tree. It's not time to quit. It's not time to throw in the towel. It's time to commit our lives to another generation of young people who want to know and do what is right according to the word of God and according to the will of God. We owe it tonight to the next generation that though they may be toddlers, though they may be babies, though they may still be in the womb, we owe them, it's our responsibility to tell them the truth. Even though the compromisers are busy and active and they're screaming in our ears, we must ignore the critic. We must ignore the compromiser. And we must say to another generation of children and another generation of young people, this is what the Bible says. Let's live clean and right and holy and happy and keep serving God. We owe it to the next generation. We owe it to the next generation to preach that this book is the word of God. How is it that you can have 14 Bible versions, all of them saying something different, and give any assurance to a child that they have the word of God? I want you to understand tonight, Satan is in the Bible business, and he'll give you a book to make you feel good. Oh, but listen, God gave us this book. This is the word of God. We need to hold it and hold it, uh, hold on to it uh, fastly, and we need to teach our children in the home and in the school and in the Sunday school and the youth department that the Bible is the word of God and stand firm upon it. We need to continue to work to win people to Christ understanding that is the Bible way. We've got all of these ideas and all of these conferences of a thousand ideas. It would be a lot easier to forget trying to learn a thousand new ideas and just do what God said to do and go tell somebody about Jesus and tell them that Christ died on the cross to give them eternal life and he'll save them if they'll simply trust in him. You don't have to sneak up on a sin 
sinner and 14 different times try to sneak in the gospel. A man said to me after church today, he said, you was preaching to me today, weren't you? I said, I was preaching to everybody. He said, you got me right here. I need to do that. Though he's not saved, I'm praying that this week he'll trust Christ as his Savior. There's one way to get the message out, and that's God's way of getting it done. We owe it to our children to teach that there's two genders and boys ought to dress like little boys and girls ought to dress like little girls and we ought to teach it and keep teaching it and we ought to teach the importance of loving one another and living in the joy of the Lord and there is no way to live in the joy and happiness of God unless we live in the will of God. I want to say tonight we're going to keep our standards the same in our Christian school. Our Christian school is a Baptist school. It's a Baptist school. It's a Baptist school. We teach Bible doctrine, which is Baptist doctrine. That's what we teach. We're going to teach separation. We're going to teach Bible-based curriculum. We're going to use the teachers like we have now whose lives are an example of the Christian life and have the ability then to teach a Bible-based curriculum This ought to be every person's worldview. Forget what the propaganda of the news has to say. Pick up the Bible off your shelf. Read the Word of God and let the Bible be your worldview. Let's let it be our worldview at home and in our Christian school. We're not going to change the purpose and direction of Commonwealth Baptist College. I hear the critics. I hear the compromisers. I hear what they say. Here's how to increase enrollment. And I tell them, my purpose is not to increase enrollment. I'm trying to turn out some old-fashioned Bible preachers that are soul winners, that love people and want to make a difference in preaching the gospel and winning people to Christ. Not trying to build an enrollment. I'm trying to train some preachers to love God and to serve God. We're going to keep planting churches. We're going to keep planting independent fundamental Baptist churches. By the way, I plan to continue our work at Circle C Baptist Ranch. I love the place. Without change of plan or policy, I love the place. I look forward to summer already. In fact, we've already written a letter for our summer camp staff next summer. We've already got it ready to go out or it's gone out already. I look forward to that. I'm glad that they can come to the ranch, a place without any influence of the world. I've never had a child walk up to me and say, can I have a conversation with you about uh, these dress standards? I'd like to have a conversation with you about uh, 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 about our schedule this week. I don't have anybody do it. It's a bunch of backslidden uh, adults that do that. It's not the children. It's not the young people. What breaks my heart at these Christian school ball games is it's not the child It's a lack of leadership that the child behaves that way. By the way, you young people, listen to me. You dress right and you live right and you be a good testimony in that crowd. And it's a shame that's the kind of crowd you have to be around to play in sports today. But don't you ever be ashamed to be a child of God and don't you ever be ashamed to know uh, to let folks know that you want to live your life pleasing to Him and you want to be clean and pure. I see these boys and girls walking around necking and petting 15, 16 years old. Uh, uh, Parents ought to have better sense than that. And tonight I'm aware of my age. I'm aware that I'll be 60 years old this coming year. Make note of it's in August. 
Here's what I want to do. I want to see another generation of young people commit their lives to serving Christ. I'm not going to be quiet because of the critics. Not going to be quiet because of the compromiser. I'm not going to do it. And, and some of you need to get off social media and quit arguing. Go win somebody to Christ. Go, just go win somebody to Christ this week. You're not going to, anybody that argues on social media or runs their mouth on social media, you're not going to help them by arguing. You're going to make people think you're as ignorant as they are. Get off of that. Get you a handful, a pocket full of gospel tracts. Go and, and go door to door. Go to a nursing home. Go someplace this week and make a difference for the cause of Christ. There must be another time when the fire of heaven falls. And here's what I think that means in application to us. I want to see the blessings of God continue on this place. I want to keep seeing people saved. I, I, I want to see lives changed. Folks, right now, it's an amazing thing what God is doing to change lives. I mean, transform lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes lives. So as I've read and I've studied and I've pondered 1 Kings 18, and especially those two statements that have always bothered me, I'm glad God told me that story. I know we're not the only ones. I know we're not. I don't know how many preachers I've talked to this past week. Ask me questions about the foolishness going on in America. They said, what do you think? I said, I think we need to keep doing what we always have been doing. Let's start another bus route. Let's build another Sunday school class. Let's go win somebody else to Christ. You don't have time to answer the critic. You're not going to change a compromiser. Just do what Paul told Timothy to do, and that is continue what God has called us to do. Elijah got discouraged. Well, I understand it. I fight it sometimes. But I pray that God will help us. Rather than letting that discourage us, let that cause us to have a drive like never before to rear another generation of young people to live right, dress right, do right, and enjoy the blessings of God. You see, the end of one era, you can look at it and say, well, that's the end of that era. Or you can say, it's the beginning of another era. Let's raise another generation to serve God. Stand with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Help us to understand that we ought to live clean and right and holy in this wicked world. Lord, help us to go back to the days of decency and respect, kindness, care, while standing firm for truth. Still, Lord, preaching and living truth in the love of Christ. Lord, the next generation of children, they deserve to hear the truth of the word of God. May we teach it and may we live it. Bless our invitation tonight. In Jesus